You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Operation Shadow Web takes down the infraud criminal carding gang. We've got two more Fancy Bear sightings, one in voter databases, one in defense contractor emails. North Korea may have purchased its Flash Player Zero Day from a third party. Cryptojacking hits a European water utility. The U.S. Senate considers banning Huawei and ZTE from federal use. And no, Mr. McAfee and Musk aren't Nigerian princes, and they're not giving away Bitcoin either. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, February 8th, 2018. A U.S.-led international effort has taken down the long-running in-fraud carding gang, thought responsible for more than $530 million in losses to consumers over the last seven years. Thirty-six alleged hoods have been indicted. Thirteen of them are in custody. The rest are on the lam. InFraud, known for its motto, In Fraud We Trust, began as a run-of-the-mill carding forum, moved into the sale of fulls, and eventually became a large and influential full-service criminal market where hoods traded and refined their attack techniques. It was hierarchical and cellular, with participants often not known to one another. Allegedly run by one Sviatoslav Bodorenko, also known as Abnan, Rector, and Helkern of Ukraine, the other people charged come from Pakistan, France, Serbia, Egypt, Kosovo, Macedonia, Bangladesh, Russia, Moldova, Italy, Australia, the Ivory Coast, Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States. They range from kingpins to moderators to low-level stiffs. The takedown is called Operation Shadow Web. Police in Australia, France, Italy, Kosovo, Serbia, the UK, and the US all made arrests. Authorities in Albania and Luxembourg were there for the assist. Three quick updates on investigations into apparent state-sponsored cyber operations. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's cybersecurity lead Jeanette Manfra said that Russia's GRU, that's Fancy Bear, targeted voter registration data in 21 states and succeeded in a few cases. She said data were not manipulated during the incidents, which have been discussed on and off since late 2016. That there were intrusions into state voting records has been strongly suspected for a long time. The latest statement, which DHS declined on security grounds to discuss further, revives a long-standing concern. An AP report describes another fancy bear campaign, this one a fishing expedition against mostly U.S. defense contractors for technical intelligence. 
The technical areas Fancy Bear pawed at include aircraft stealth, rocket and missile systems, and interestingly, cloud computing platforms. And the third is an update on North Korea's exploitation of a Flash Player Zero Day against South Korean targets. Investigators believe Pyongyang purchased the Zero Day from some so far unidentified third party. It might be criminals, it might be another state, it might be a Zero Day broker. Researchers at Radaflow report finding a crypto miner infestation in a European water utility, marking cryptojacking's long expected approach to the industrial Internet of Things. Researchers at Alien Vault recently took a look at an application compiled in late December 2017, an installer to mine Monero cryptocurrency. Christopher Doman is a security researcher at Alien Vault, and he joins us to share their findings. So it's pretty obvious the way that we found it. It was a piece of software that was talking to a university in Pyongyang. So we could see from a domain that ended .kp um, for North Korea, it might be something worth looking at. And we see a lot of, well, a fair amount of North Korean software, but this stood out being potentially malicious. So take us through uh, what was going on here. Uh, what was it doing? It's really simple, actually. It installs a Monero miner. So Monero is a bit like Bitcoin, but a bit more anonymous. Um, and it installs it on the computer. And then the funds are then sent off to a server at the university in Pyongyang. And in terms of uh, it installing itself on the computer, is it doing this uh, surreptitiously? Is it a piece of malware where it tries to hide itself? Somebody, it puts itself into the Windows folder, so that's not normally where you get a legitimate piece of um, software installed. And there's some somewhat related malware that um, seems to be by the same people that is even more cunning. It, um, it hides itself as a scheduled task. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so after we released this um, report on this Monero miner sending off funds to that university in Pyongyang, um, a friend of Palo Alto found another piece of malware talking to the same Monero wallet, so presumably the same people. And that's a bit more cunning. Um, it comes in through as an archive that's password protected, that comes built in with um, the password. So it's, it's got a couple more methods in there, a bit more evolved to try and avoid antivirus. In your research, you say that uh, it was looking for a particular uh, host name, which doesn't resolve. Can you describe what's going on there? Yeah, so the host name is a server um, at the University of Pyongyang. Um, I think it's called Kimmel Sun University, if I got that right. And um, yeah, it doesn't resolve for us. Um, we don't see any records of ever resolving. But the way that you know, DNS and you know, that kind of stuff works is that if you're within North Korea, within the university, perhaps it would work. So one theory about where this has come from is maybe this was running within North Korea itself. Another one of the theories is that it might just be a prank to, uh, to fool security researchers? Yeah, there's definitely something we would have put in there in case uh, that happened and we had egg on our face. Um, obviously, it is quite blatant, the fact it's got that um, North Korean domain in there. It's not exactly subtle about that. Uh, I think the prank hypothesis we had is a bit less likely now we've found that related malware, which we're seeing installed on machines in South Korea, um, a number of machines, and has made about $40,000. So if it is a prank, it's quite an elaborate one. But yeah, that's possible. And that's also because we saw some, again, slightly related malware that probably isn't linked to this, um, but shares some code. So we weren't really sure how to interpret that. And this sort of Monero mining, this is something that you see uh, linked to North Korean people uh, quite often, yes? Yes, I mean, two other reports. One was with um, Kaspersky. They found Lazarus, quite an infamous group of North Korean hackers. They installed some Monero mining on a bank that they'd hacked into. So they were trying to steal you know, millions of dollars worth of, um, of cash from the bank, and they risked it all and partly got caught by installing a Monero miner. And there's also a report by the South Korean government last month where they found a very related group of attackers installing Monero miners on South Korean networks. What are the takeaways here? What are the conclusions from what you found? Well, I guess this isn't the biggest threat for people to worry about, but given that it's something involving North Korea, it's kind of topical, it's kind of interesting, and it fits into the wider kind of economic situation where obviously 
they're going under sanctions, they need money to fund all their programs. And this is just one more piece of evidence that um, North Korea is investing resources in cryptocurrencies. And so if people want to protect themselves against this, what are your suggestions? Well, antivirus picks us up pretty well. Monero miners are well known, um, and you can detect this on the network quite easily too. Um, again, it just uses standard um, Monero mining, Monero protocols. So um, for most people, this isn't a threat they've got to worry about. Perhaps more of a threat is, again, related groups doing things like WannaCry to get cryptocurrency cash. That's got a far longer set of recommendations. That's Christopher Doman from Alien Vault. You can read their full report on the North Korean cryptocurrency miner on their website. Two U.S. Senators, Republicans Tom Cotton of Arkansas and Marco Rubio of Florida, have introduced a bill that would ban Huawei and ZTE devices from U.S. government use. The measure is similar to one recently introduced in the House. Senator Cotton said, quote, Huawei is effectively an arm of the Chinese government, and it's more than capable of stealing information from U.S. officials by hacking its devices. There are plenty of other companies that can meet our technology needs, and we shouldn't make it any easier for China to spy on us. Quote. Finally, we've been wondering if there actually are Nigerian princes, so we consulted our Africa desk and found out that yes, yes there are. They're traditional rulers of old constituent states that form modern Nigeria, which itself is, of course, a republic. We call them princes for short. There are naturally other titles in the 521 languages native to Nigeria. Socially important as a mediating institution, Nigerian royalty is roughly equivalent to European nobility. Italian counts, German princes, Scottish lairds, things like that. We're thinking about them because of the way their names have been exploited in advanced fee cons, Nigerian prince scams we've come to call them. No actual Nigerian princes, of course, are involved. So maybe you thought the Nigerian prince scam was exposed and just totally over? So 90s, right? You roll your eyes and think back about playing Los Del Rio doing the Macarena on your Walkman, am I right? Well, techno-sophisticates, think again. A variant using Twitter is out and about. And to add insult to injury, this one goes after altcoin. That's right, the cryptocurrencies that are so hard to understand that only true crypto hipsters like our technical director or those guys over at Johns Hopkins can really be said to grok them. In fairness to the hundreds who've fallen for the con, the fraudsters aren't tweeting that they're actual widows of Nigerian princes. Instead, they're, wait for it, Bitcoin billionaires, Monero millionaires. And they're using names you know, posing as verified tweeps. Here's a sample, quote, By the way, I'm giving away 20 bitcoins to my followers. Just send 0.02 bitcoins to the address below, and I'll send you 0.2 bitcoins back through the same address you used in the transaction. This is my way of thanking all my friends and followers. Thank you. And who's that from? Well, who else but John McAfee, naturally. Of course, it's a spoof. It's not the real Mr. McAfee, but admit it, I had you going there for a second. Another one looks as though it came from Elon Musk, for sure, doesn't it? Well, read this one and weep, Rocketeers. To celebrate the event, I'm giving away 100 Ethereum and 20 Bitcoin to my followers. Send 0.2 Ethereum or 0.1 Bitcoin to the address below and receive 2 Ethereum or 1 Bitcoin. Sounds good, right? I mean, Mr. Musk did just send a Tesla Roadster into space aboard his first Falcon Heavy, so maybe that's the event he's celebrating. According to Mr. Musk, who's of course not the real Elon Musk at all, adds, First 20 only. So hey, hop to it, Twitterati. There are other tech celebrity impersonators, too. What the cons have in common is that they're tweets. In fact, they're replies to other tweets. 
and that the imposture is accomplished by typo spoofing. So, no tech celebrity, not even the famously out-of-the-box Mr. Musk or Mr. McAfee, is going to ask you to deposit cryptocurrency so he or she can send you more in return. Mark Twain would have recognized the bogus offer at once. He even put a royalty scam into Huckleberry Finn. We'll update it for the 21st century. If that don't fetch him, I don't know hashtag Arkansas. Don't get fooled again. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He's from the SANS Technology Institute, and he's also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, welcome back. Um, We've been seeing a lot in the news about the theft of crypto coins. Uh, What sort of advice can you offer us here? Yeah, probably the first thing to realize is if you are owning crypto coins and if you're keeping them in a wallet, uh, this wallet isn't your traditional wallet that holds currency, uh, whether it's electronic or not. It's really just a private key. So it's not that you need a bigger wallet if you own more coins. It's still the same private key that authenticates you uh, to these uh, blockchains uh, that you're the owner of these coins. So you really have to safeguard uh, this uh, private key very carefully Uh, first of all from theft so you may want to keep it not online one option actually you have is you can create a paper copy of this private key either as a qr code or there's even software that allows you to turn it into an english word uh, passphrase kind of 
So uh, what you can do then is uh, if there are some crypto coins that you're just holding on to that you're not sort of using on a day-to-day basis to buy your burgers or whatever, um, in that case, uh, you can just transfer them into this paper wallet and uh, keep them safe. Of course, you definitely want to make sure that you keep a couple of copies uh, in safe places off this piece of paper because if you ever lose uh, this particular paper, well, uh, with that, you also lose whatever crypto coins are associated with it. Yeah, so this is the kind of thing uh, you store in your safe deposit box, I suppose. Um, I, I, what is the, the level of security with these hardware wallets? Does it vary from device to device, or are they all pretty secure? Uh, it certainly varies from device to device. And now, I have seen some of these uh, hardware wallets they actually store the private key on like a little micro SD card. While this is not necessarily insecure, uh, from my own personal experience, I had a lot of them fail over the year. Hmm. And uh, if you know this device fails, uh, then, well, again, you're losing your, your cryptocurrency. So um, you definitely want to make sure, again, that you do keep backups of the private key associated with it, uh, that you actually can get that key in some archivable format out of these uh, hardware wallets. Now, with mobile wallets, there are a lot of mobile applications that implement wallets. They actually go beyond the bare bones wallet functionality. What's <laughs> what's sometimes called a wallet is uh, not just the part that holds your crypto coins, but also software that sort of synchronizes with the blockchain. So you can look it up to see how many coins you actually have in in your account. Hmm. Now, um, this they often are vulnerable to just the same vulnerabilities that all software is vulnerable to. So again, be careful, check the reputation of some of the software that you're using and uh, make sure that you definitely keep backups of everything. And I would actually recommend uh, to write down any passwords that you're using uh, because uh, the password should be complex, definitely, but uh, there is no password recovery for these systems. So uh, if you lose it, it's gone. There's nobody really to complain to and ask for your money back if you lose your crypto coins. Right. All right. Good advice as always. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, 
Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.